hard to believe, but it was the year 2000 that the actual first episode of Survivor aired on TV. And I don't know if anybody can go back that far and remember it, but it was quite the, the, uh, the phenomenon. And everybody was talking about Survivor, and everybody was tuning into it, and everybody was watching the show. And it was this crazy thing where they dumped all these strangers on an island, and they had to form, well, they put them in tribes, and then they had to form alliances. And the big goal of the show was to be the last one standing. And it was the introduction, actually, of uh, reality TV. Well, it's now 19 years later. They've actually done this for, I think, 38 seasons, which is crazy. And it's still one of the top 20 shows that's on TV today. I don't know what's wrong with the world, but uh, it's still that popular. But it's this idea, and you remember, they would, I was going to light this, and I tested it out, and it really stank. So just because I love you this morning, my prop isn't as good as it could be, Okay. But they would carry these and they would all come into the uh, tribal council, right? And everybody would sit down and somebody would get voted off the island. And that was the phrase back then. Oh, I just got voted off the island. You know, we all said that all the time about whatever's going on. And they would eventually, you know, extinguish the light and somebody would disappear off the island. But that reality show or TV thing was kind of a new experiment. And it was fascinating to watch play out a little bit. Good thing I didn't light it, right? But it was fascinating to watch it play out because instead of bringing out the best in people, it seemed to bring out the worst in people. And it became kind of a cutthroat, uh, mean, uh, grabbing, grasping, every man for himself, look out world, here I come mentality where everybody scratched and clawed his way to the top so that he could be the last one there. The sad part is that it just wasn't on the island where that's happening. It's happening throughout society today, isn't it? In reality, TV in reality was reality. Because we still see that around us, where people are mean, where people are arguing, where people are screaming and shouting at each other, and where there's extremes that are are clashing, and where the words escalate, and, and where the violence actually escalates, on this planet that we call Earth. And we look at this and say, where is this going and what do we do about this? And what can we do about this world that we live in that seems to be kind of going crazy? Well, the answer is not found in reality TV and the answer is not found in surviving the island or the answer is not found in eating bugs or whatever else you have to do to be a survivor. The answer is actually found in two things. And the first of them is probably pretty obvious, right? Because you showed up here on Easter Sunday to celebrate Easter. And Easter is actually the answer and the solution to this challenge that we have in our world, where it's just kind of escalated and gone crazy. And that's the obvious answer. But the less obvious answer shows up in three words that Jesus actually said when he issued and when he gave the Lord's Prayer. And what we're talking about in the current series that we're doing here at Waterford Community Church, just called simply the prayer. But we're exploring this idea of the Lord's Prayer. And there's three words in that prayer that I want to look at today. And in those three words is the solution to all this craziness that we see in the world around us. And all this craziness that sadly we get sucked into sometimes and find ourselves participating in. 
So I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one that's in front of you. Or we also are on an app called YouVersion. And if you have that app, YouVersion, we're in the events section. You can find it there. But I want to turn, or encourage you to turn to what we call the Lord's Prayer. And as you turn, let me just kind of catch everybody up. If you weren't here last week, and what we talked about about this prayer. And we simply talked about the start of the prayer because starts matter. And how you get started often determines how you're finishing. But Jesus said that there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. The wrong way is when you pray for yourself, basically. So you sometimes stand up in front of people and say all kinds of eloquent things so that people will look at you and go, oh, you're so spiritual, or oh, look at his, how pious he is. And Jesus says that's the wrong way to pray. Or sometimes we pray because we make it all about ourselves, and it's like we talk to God as a giant Santa Claus, and Jesus says, no, that's the wrong way to pray as well. And sometimes we just recite prayers, and we learn prayers even as a kid. Things like, you know, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. And different prayers like that, and we just start to recite prayers, and they start to lose their meaning, including this prayer right here, the Lord's Prayer. And how many times does it get recited where we don't stop and think about what it actually means or what it actually says? And that's why we're exploring this as a church here for the next several weeks. Not do you know it, but do you know what it says and what it actually means? So he says there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. So he gives us the right way and he says, here's how you should pray. He doesn't say, here's what you should pray. He says, here's how you should pray. And so the point is, he's not necessarily giving us a prayer to repeat, but a pattern to follow, a template. And he lays out this template, and that's what we're doing in the series, is we're taking the template apart and saying, what does that actually mean? And then he says, start this way, pray, our Father, which reminds us that God cares about us in a very personal way, as a father cares for his children. So this great God is personal, and He's actually near. And as we pray, pray our Father so that we can be reminded that we're not praying to some God far removed and distant who doesn't care. But we're praying to a God who's near and close and paying attention and tuned in. And whatever's going on in your life, even when you pray our Father, He already knows what the issue is and what the need is. But then He says, pray our Father in heaven. And that's a reminder of God's greatness too. That he lives in a realm far above us, greater than we are. And so when we pray, we're not praying to somebody who's on our level, who might or might not be able to help. We're praying to a God who transcends the universe that he created and can do anything. Nothing's too hard for him. And so we pray, our Father who's close, who's in heaven, who's great. And Jesus says to start the prayer like that. And then he says, before you get into requests for yourself, there's some other requests you should make. And I've called these the God requests. And we looked at one of those last week, which is let your name be revered or honored or, or looked up to. And then he gets to this next request. And so let's look at this Lord's Prayer here. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Prayer, sometimes it's called the Model Prayer. But it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. It says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And those are the three words where we're going to lock in on this morning. And if we wanted to, to put that into a, an easy translation for us in English, 
it would say, let your kingdom come. So this is a prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And just three words in that prayer, if we could grab hold of those three words today, could make a difference in at least our world, in the islands that we live on. And those words are, your kingdom come. Now when Jesus said that prayer, it's doubtful that those words jumped out to anybody listening. In part because that was how people tended to pray back then. It was actually a part and an element of Jewish worship in the day. And the rabbis had a saying, they would say this, the prayer in which there is no mention of the kingdom of God is no prayer at all. And so the Jews were constantly praying for the kingdom to come. And so when Jesus said, your kingdom come, he just sounded like he was repeating maybe something that was already out there. But what exactly were they praying? And were they praying the exact same thing that Jesus was praying when he prayed that? Well, the Jews were praying for God's kingdom to come. They were praying that God would reign and rule over all in the earth. And that's a good prayer, right? God, we want what you want to happen here on earth. But they were also praying for the Messiah to come, to rescue them from the Romans, so to establish a new government. But this Messiah that, that David had, talk, or, or, had been promised and that the prophets had talked about and that actually came in a manger and who was actually there standing there saying, pray, your kingdom come. And so the answer to that prayer was telling them to pray that prayer. And so you look at that and say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would you pray for the kingdom to come when in fact the kingdom came? Because it came in the person of Jesus Christ who was the king that we've been talking about this morning. So why would Jesus tell the people listening to him and his disciples, here, pray this, pray your kingdom come, when, when in actuality that prayer had been answered because Jesus had come? Or is there more to the story? Well, obviously, yes. There's more to the story, right? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what it means for the kingdom to come. And what it means when we pray your kingdom to come, what exactly are we asking for? And what difference does that make in our world today? So let me start with just a brief history lesson. And some of you may remember us from a series that we did last spring called The Messiah Plan. But when Adam and Eve were created and put in the garden, they were given rule and reign over the garden and rule and reign over creation. In other words, they were set up to be the kings and queen of the world as they know it and as the, the world as, as it was created on planet Earth here. And it was a smaller kingdom. God was the greater overall king. But of Earth, Adam and Eve were the king and the queen. And they ruled the garden where they lived. And then the serpent came, and Satan in the form of the snake deceived Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And in the process of that, Satan ripped the kingdom away from Adam and Eve and took it for himself. And he became the king of the earth that we live on. And he instituted a lot of his principles. And that's what we see in all this dog-eat-dog, cutthroat world that we live in. We see 
the principles of the king being lived out. But God wasn't okay with that. And God had a plan for that. And God's plan was to send a champion, and that champion was Jesus Christ. And he came and he was born, and he lived as a man, and he died on a cross as a man, and he rose again as a man. He was also God, so that the kingdom could be restored, and that Jesus, who's God and man, would ultimately reign over that kingdom. And when Jesus came originally as a baby, he brought in that kingdom. And it's the kingdom that we're still supposed to be praying for if we understand it. Because we're not praying for Jesus to come like he did or like the Jews would have been praying for as the Messiah. We're praying for him to reign or we're praying for the rules that he put in place or resurrected or however you want to say it to become the the dominant rules and reign and thinking of the day. So what I want to do is just explore five ideas of what this kingdom is about that we're praying for and talk about how that makes a difference to us today. The first thing is this. The kingdom is invisible. We live in a world where we live by what we can see and feel and touch and hear and what we can experience on a, on a sense level. And that's what the world is to us. And so we sit in literal chairs and we drive literal cars and we, and we work with people that we can see. And all of these things are very tangible to us. But this kingdom that we're praying for is a kingdom that we can't see. It's a kingdom that's invisible. And it's the kingdom where God lives and where God reigns and where God actually works as well. God exists in a realm that's unseen but he still works in this world that we do see. And sometimes one of the ways that we see God is not that we see him in person, but we see his actual works. That's because his kingdom is invisible. Now, in all of us, we have this sense, I think, that there's more to life than what we see. You know, we see things, but we're like, oh, I, I, in fact, we actually live in a world that there's more than what we see, Right? Like the fact that you're looking at your phone and reading that, somehow that's all making it your phone without anything that you can see. But that's even on a physical level itself, but we go one step beyond that. But we live with this sense that there's more than what we see, and we live with a hope, actually, that there's more to this life than what we see. Because most of us have pursued things that we can see, and when we get them, we're like, ah, is this all there is? So we really, really want this car, and we save up, and we buy this car, and we drive this car, and it's like, gosh, this car just did what the last car did. It just gets me places. Or, you know, we really, really want this job, and we finally get this job, and it's like, oh, this job isn't as fun as I thought it would be. And and the pay that comes with it allows us to buy things that we just worry about more. And we live with this hope that, you know, I hope there's something more than what I can see in this life. And the answer is yes, there is, because we live in a kingdom that's invisible. And when we ask and pray for the kingdom to come, what we're actually asking and praying for is that the invisible becomes more important to us than the visible. And that the things that we can't see become more important to us than the things that we can see. 
And so I am praying for the kingdom to come. I'm praying that I will be more about what I can't see than what I can see. And that I'm arranging my life by something that's greater than just these things that are on the island with us. Well, the second thing about this kingdom is that it's invincible. That's what Easter's all about, isn't it? Easter's about when the king came to earth and he died on a cross, and then what happened? He rose again to say, enemy, Satan, whatever you can throw at me, and death being the greatest weapon you have, that's no match for me. And he rose again because the kingdom is invincible. And while we're still waiting for more, and I'll explain this in a minute, the truth of the matter is because of the cross, because of the tomb, and because of the resurrection, victory is possible for every single person who identifies with Christ and who is a part of this kingdom. And so when we pray for the kingdom to come, we are actually praying that we would experience the victory in our lives that Jesus actually won when he overthrew death. Now, sometimes we struggle with that because we're still playing out the game. But the cross and the resurrection, it was the turning point in the game. In this kingdom, Jesus hasn't totally reclaimed it yet. And yet Jesus is totally in charge of where everything's going. And it's going to happen. But in our lives, when we pray for the kingdom to come, we are praying to live in victory. So that we can say, you know what? Not only am I living by what's unseen, I'm living with assurance that whatever I face in my life, I can handle because nothing's as bad as what Jesus already handled. And he's the king that I'm following. Well, there's a third thing about the kingdom, and it's that the kingdom is inevitable. Kingdom is inevitable. See, the story's not over. And sometimes I think we forget that, but we as Christ followers, we know that Jesus died, we know that he rose again, but then what happened? He went back to heaven, and he said to his followers, I'm coming back. Be waiting, be watching, be ready for me to return, because someday Jesus is going to return to this earth, and he's going to take care of all of the wrong and all of the all of the hurt and all the pain and all of these things, and he's going to actually establish his throne, and it will happen. But what's going on right now is that Jesus came, and with the cross and with Easter, the resurrection, he established his community. And little by little, that community is growing. And little by little, that community is continuing to have effect. And little by little, the kingdom is actually advancing. But someday, Jesus will come back and make it final. And so the kingdom is inevitable. I picked up my phone this week and saw something on Facebook, and I thought this was interesting, and it illustrates this point beautifully. It was posted by Shannon Nielsen, who's the pastor of Mosaic Church in Ann Arbor, which is where uh, my family and I attended before we came here to, to Waterford. And he was celebrating something with, a, with Erickson's school in Ypsilanti and a program and said, so, so grateful to get to be part of this program with Erickson's school. And it took me back to a year before 
When I had been at a conference with Lynn Bigelman, who was then the principal at um, Grayson Elementary School here, and Lynn and I were sitting at a table, and Lynn was bragging about you to another principal who was sitting at this table. And she was talking about all the things that we do as a church to try to, to, that, that helps the school there at Grayson. And she was just going on and on. And this other principal, who, whose name was Kelly, she looked at Lynn. She says, well, where do I find a church like that? Well, I was sitting at the table. And I was like, you know what? I used to go to a church in your neighborhood. And I actually called Shannon Nielsen, the pastor of Mosaic, and said, you should give this principal a call. And he did the next day. And a year later, I'm reading the second post that says, from the principal, so grateful for Mosaic Church, we could have never done this without you. This is the kingdom advancing. And I say that also for you that invest in our outreach to our community. You're having an impact that's now from Grayson School, now reached to Erickson School in Ypsilanti, because the kingdom is advancing, because the kingdom is inevitable. But here's where I think it gets really good, is the kingdom is internal. See, this was a huge confusion for Jesus' followers. In fact, they asked him after he rose from the dead, and, and, and as he gathered his disciples, they were like, are, are you going to install your kingdom now? Are you going to overthrow Rome and are you going to set up your government and your economic system and the social system? And, and are, are you going to take over this world like, like we're expecting? Because the problem was that they thought it was going to be an external kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing the point. The point is that the kingdom is internal. It doesn't exist out here. It exists in here. And the kingdom exists into every person who chooses to follow Christ. And the kingdom has impact then is every person who chooses to follow Christ lives out the values, it lives out the mission that Jesus Christ gave us. Governments today are about what? They're about creating boxes and boundaries. So I'm going to create, and this is what laws are, right? I'm going to create a box and a boundary, and we're going to have you live in this box, and if I can keep you into this bo- in this box, you won't bang into the person who's next to you because he's in his own box. And we draw all these rules and all these boxes. And you know what the problem is? Nobody's ever satisfied with where his box ends. And so he keeps pushing out on his boxes, and when he pushes out on the walls of his box, he bangs into the next person, or he bangs into the next tribe, or he bangs into the next country, or he bangs into the next people group, or he bangs into the next opinion, or he bangs into the next... And we have all of this tension and of all this fighting because we're all trying to live in these external borders and boundaries. That's actually what God had done in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments. He said, here's the box, here's the boundaries for you to live in. And when Jesus came, he brought in a kingdom that doesn't work that way. It works from the inside out. And the idea isn't that I don't have boundaries. It's the idea is that what drives me from the inside makes the boundaries easy. And not limiting, but freeing. And so the kingdom is actually internal. It comes into the hearts and lives of Jesus' followers. 
And so when I pray for the kingdom of come, for the kingdom to come, what I'm actually praying is this. Jesus comes within me and changes me and then lets me live that out in my relationships with other people. There's another idea here, and it's this, that the kingdom is invitational. The kingdom is invitational. Every single person is invited to be a part of it. And any person who accepts the invitation can be a part of this kingdom. You don't have to do anything other than say, yes. And so many people are like, I'm going to make God happy, and they have this whole list of things that they're going to do. And if I make God happy enough by filling out this list, maybe someday God's going to let me into heaven because he says, I'm going to be good enough. And, and you know, that's going to be the ultimate kingdom, right? And you're missing the point. See, the point, the kingdom is about the cross, where Jesus did it, so you don't have to. And the, and the kingdom is about the resurrection where Jesus rose from the grave because you couldn't do that if you tried. But He did it for you and does it for you eventually. And so Jesus comes with this invitation and says, I have a gift. And the gift is to be part of my kingdom. You don't have to earn your way in. You just need to switch sides. And to say, okay, I accept this gift. And when I am praying for the kingdom to come, I am inviting God to come into my life and to take over as king of my life. And when that happens, I start to change. And when I start to change, the territory around me starts to change. And as the territory around me starts to change, it starts to impact the people who live next to me. But not in negative ways, but in positive ways. And we start to lose this dog-eat-dog, vicious, I'm going to climb to the top no matter how many people I have to climb over to get their mentality. And we live by a different standard. Because, and this is a bonus for you here, the kingdom is also inverted. It's upside down from what everybody would expect it to be. In the kingdom that most people live in, it's like I have to prove my dominance. But the kingdom that Jesus brought in, he said, hey, if you want to be first, you better learn to be last. And you know, the kingdom of today is I have to look out for number one. And the kingdom that Jesus brought in said, you need to look out for the other people around you. In the kingdom that we live in today, oftentimes is about me taking care of me in the kingdom that Jesus brought and said, no, it's about sacrifice and giving and serving and helping. In the kingdoms that so many times we are about today, it's about receiving, whether it's a material thing or recognition or honor or whatever. And Jesus' kingdom was about giving. And so the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray, because we're not very good at it. And most of us, we're not very good at prayer, if we are honest. But Jesus said, okay, pray our Father in heaven. Let your name be revered, but let your kingdom come. 
And so this morning, the invitation is to all of us to pray, let your kingdom come. Well, what does that mean when you pray that? It means that I'm going to make the invisible more important than the visible, right? It means that, that I'm going to live with, with this idea that I'm invincible, not in myself, but in the victory that Christ wins over sin and death. And so when I look at my life and there's things that are defeating me, let your kingdom come as saying, God, give me victory in this area. It means living with the idea that the kingdom is inevitable and with the assurance that someday we're going to be with Christ in this whole sin thing is going to be done with. That it's internal that it starts inside of me and works inside of me, that it's invitational. I have to accept it. And if I will, it will completely turn my world and the world of people around me upside down. Let your kingdom come. So three questions as we conclude this morning. The first one is, will you accept the invitation into the kingdom? Will you come to the place where you say, okay, I'm done with being my own king. And Jesus, I'm going to invite you to be my king. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again for me. I want to invite you into my story as my forgiver and the one who gives me the hope of eternal life. Let your kingdom come. Maybe you've made that request already. Maybe in praying, let your kingdom come, you're asking Jesus to advance his kingdom in you. There's some area of your life where you said, no, God, that's mine. Don't touch that. And where he's saying, no, let me in and let me change that. Or maybe it's this question. Will you ask Jesus to advance his kingdom through you? He established his kingdom when he came. He'll establish it permanently when he comes again. But in the meantime, you and I are supposed to be advancing that kingdom by sharing the good news, by, by providing a good example, by loving the people around us, by making a positive difference in this world. Will you let his kingdom come? Will you pray, let your kingdom come.